I'm Steve Vibronix, and this is the Life in Dub podcast, talking to people who live their lives in dub and reggae. Episode number 11. Welcome to the 11th Life in Dub podcast. I hope you're all okay out there. Once again, thanks for all the emails and messages. Keep them coming in and let me know what you think of each episode. The show is continually picking up new listeners, so thanks for taking the time to tune in and listening to these amazing Life in Dub stories. This week, I want to talk about a couple of things. Firstly, I want to ask a small favour from you all. With every episode, the podcast picks up more listeners and more interest. So if you want to help Life in Dub grow, just share it with friends and people you might think would be interested. Post it on social media, share it around. There are a lot of people out there that still don't know about these amazing stories that get shared with you all every two weeks. So let's get the word out. Reviews and ratings are really useful, especially in Apple Podcasts, where ratings really help push Life in Dub out to more people. Thanks in advance for any help with this. It means a lot. Secondly, I just wanted to talk about what sound systems, artists and producers have been up to under lockdown. Some of us have been popping up on social media throughout these crazy times. But even those who don't, most I've spoken to are feeling well and keeping busy, working on a myriad of things behind the scenes, getting ready for when dances start up again and we all venture back out into the world. Something I've been meaning to do for the longest time, and this lockdown has given me the time to do it finally, is re-release some golden Vibronix gems on vinyl. Releases that are now virtually impossible to track down and are changing hands for crazy money. If anyone out there would like to get their hands on a vinyl pressing of a particular track, just let me know and maybe we can stick it on the list. I'll let you know more about these special releases over the next few weeks and months. This week, my guest is Abba Shanti, someone who surely needs no introduction. Abba is a true cornerstone of the worldwide Roots Reggae sound system scene and someone who has 100% lived their life in dub. We conducted the interview remotely with me up here in Leicester and Abba down there in Hackney in London. The interview is full of amazing insights into his very early days, talks about the time he spent working with Joe Tubbies back in the 1980s, as well as his love for and connection with the city of Leicester, where I've lived for 30 years. It was an interview with real personal meaning for me because Abashanti was my introduction to the world of sound system back in those early days. So enough of me, let's get on with the interview. Well, Abashanti, I'd like to welcome you to the Life in Dub podcast. I'm happy you're here. Give thanks to everybody and hope everybody's well in this current time. And yeah, this great tribulation all of us are going through. We're all going through it together. So yeah, it's happy to be here. And we're having to do this interview, which we talked about for weeks, but to do it in isolation. You're down in London, I'm up in Leicester. So crazy times. Yeah, sure is. Sure is. Yeah. Well, listen, what I'm doing, Abra, is that you probably heard now, but the, what I'm doing, asking everybody a couple of the same questions. And the first question I'm asking all my guests is this question about a tune or something, a, a tune or a song that kind of changed things for you. When you look back, you think, yeah, yeah, from when I heard that, that kind of changed things and things kind of moved in a different direction somehow. Or I wonder if you've got an example of like a track like that. Well, for me, Steve, it's a bit of a hard one because um as a too many well as a lot of people know i've done a few interviews before and um i've kind of given them a background of my history in this thing and i was actually born in a house where a sound system actually resided so um my experience with music is very 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 great so you know from 
the real inception of this thing here from like the Scar days and the Studio One and the Rocksteady and before we even really got into the reggae that we know. Yeah, I think the tune that really, really, really inspired me and kind of opened up my eyes to the whole concept was a tune called Jamaican Roots, which was done by King Tubbies and Striker Lee. It was an actual, it was a dub album, actually. And, um, yeah, this is with uh, Aggravators. Uh Yeah, and the flying symbols. And And do you remember when, when you heard that album? We're talking early 70s now. Nah. Yeah, we're talking now. Nah. We're going back a bit. Then. Yeah, yeah. This is when I would say the real dub dub scene as we know it really started manifesting itself. Because before that, we had a, we had vocals and we had a thing called version, which was just like a instrumental mix of the tune with just the vocal missing and just the instruments playing but before we started getting into the this was before we started getting into filters and echoes and reverbs and all that that was just like an instrumental mix that you just yeah the vocal was just taken out oh yeah i think that album kind of revolutionized stuff where people where king tubbies was actually mixing yeah, mixing stuff. So yeah, that's it. It's kind of spellbinding stuff. Yeah, isn't it? yeah. So you talk about like growing up in a sort of musical and a kind of sound system family. I mean, what 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 kind of things were going on? I mean, what 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 was that like? You you, you got some sound system actually in the family. Yeah, my dad. Because when my dad came from Antigua, because my family's of Antiguan origin. Yeah, when my dad came to England and started mixing with a few of these friends from Jamaica and stuff like that. Um, he started getting records sent over from like places like Randy's and Federal and places like this. And yeah, back then there was no labels on these things. You just get like a white label, a gray label, a pink label. So before this thing, as we know as dub plate, some people call it black wax, yeah, the pre-release was the thing that people actually used. This was the actual dub plates of the day. It was the pre-release. And your your dad was was getting hold of these and like playing them in the house yeah. and kind of so you you you'd witness this stuff. Kind yeah, of and my dad used to play out a lot as well because um we used to play like weddings and christenings and gatherings like that when people back in the early days they never had no dance halls as such yeah the houses became dance halls you know just clear out the furniture out the front room and yeah we're having a party in your house this week and yeah they would kind of get people like my father and other various other sound men that collected music would get them to come and play the music so and this is in like hackney in london this was in hackney stoke newton was a main hub for that they had a road called Thistleweight Road, which is in near Clapton Pond, that was like a blues road. Yeah, most houses down there, they would have parties and that down there. Then you had um, St. Mark's. Which is someone's house who's basically there, for yeah, people who don't know. Yeah. They're having a party in the house. But these houses were massive houses. These houses were like houses that had like five, six, seven rooms in there. 
So the whole basement would be cleared out and, yeah, this is where these things would be kept, yeah. Mummy and that would be cooking up some curry goat and some rice and, yeah, they'll be selling their drinks. That time it would be Long Life, which was a, a beer back in the day, Long Lives. In, in the small cans. In the small cans, you know. So, so you used to go to some of these sessions then, did you? When you, you must have been young, I guess, if you were going Well, to. I didn't actually. I would go with my dad and help him set up and kind of was hoping that, yeah, I would get to stay and then it'd be, uh, uh, come, come, let's go. Yeah, this time, yeah, my dad would probably, he's going to come back and collect my mum and, yeah, we'd be left at home with a babysitter, you know. So, well, <laughs> unfortunately, yeah, the beginning, the setting up period and all that, yeah, we was there as children, but, you know, yeah, this was an ad- strictly adult affair back then times. Then, when, so. when did you start going to any sessions or anything yourself or kind of getting <clears throat> kind of more interested in it yourself? Well, as I said, the interest was always there. And between me and my brother, Blood Shanty, we was the ones that would kind of galvanise the troops to say, yeah, let's put a sound together. Let's, yeah, as a collective, we would come with the concept of, yeah, let's build a sound because we had the inspiration of the old man in the house. Uh, I think my very, very, very first session that actually big, big, big session I went to was when Shaka came and played in Hackney in a place called Cubies. Cubies was, uh, it was two clubs. It was four races and Cubies. It was because the four races complex, as we knew it, was a massive big theatre that was in Hackney. And if yeah, it's like a famous place, yeah. In fact, they've knocked it down and kind of regentrified the whole area now. And yeah, that was 1978. Wow, that's like going back some time there. Oh. And so that's Shaka in Hackney in 78. So I'm always interested to know any kind of description or memories of what, what a dance was like then because that's so long before I was going to sessions and I know. They were very different back then. So I don't wonder if you've got any recollections of that dance or dances like that. That dance was, that was mind-changing, that was, because um, my dad had had a sound, but it wasn't a massive sound. Yeah, it was more of a like a sound that would play in a house or anything. But to go to a, a session and... Russ has always intrigued me as a child. So to be able to go out to a session now where it's just pure rusters i remember walking because it was a uh, you had to go up some stairs to get into cubies i remember walking up the stairs and the more you walked up the stairs the thicker the smell of herb became a bit more prevalent <laughs> i remember walking into this smoky hazy hall and this time shaka had set up on the stage yeah just boxes all around the hall as far as you could there was no wall there was just speakers yeah, that was, um, I would say, my first major experience of going into a big dance and feeling at home and saying, yeah, this is where I'm meant to be. Because <laughs> they're like eye-opening experiences, aren't they? Because they're, they're, it's not like being on the street or something. It's a completely different uh, thing, that, isn't it? That was life-changing, that was for me. Yeah, from, yeah, just listening to the music. But a lot of the stuff I heard heard him playing on that night my dad had, which I found 
this is what really made me understand the depth of my dad's record collecting capability that when we came back from that session, obviously we was at school them times there and we had a little sound called Jaito Rock, which when we... This is like you and your brother? No, this is me and school friends. This is when like I was in uh-huh. first first year in secondary school. So we're talking like 11, 12 years old. And it was only my friend Mervin, who, which was a bit older than us, and he was the person that he was into equipment and like, any amplifiers or speakers and stuff like that we needed to get, he would give us like some guidance on it. He was like, yeah, you guys are young, man. You guys are Ja'itel youth. You ain't no Ja'itel rock, you know what I mean? So we had to change the name because back them times, uh, it wasn't like now where you would get a young person that would build a sign and within a maybe a couple of years or a couple of months, they're playing in a dance with me, you know what I mean? Them times, uh, it was a divisional thing, you know what I mean? You had the top tier of sounds like... It's like a sort of league yeah, championship. Yeah, you had Shaka, Fat Man, Coxon, Quaker, Baron from Manchester. Yeah, you've had all these sort of sounds here. And then you would have us sounds that, you know what, you have to do your apprenticeship before you get into the into the big league, you know what I mean? So so you're growing up in a... Your, your, your dad's a sound man, your brother's a, you know, obviously... Came on, went on to be yep, one of the yep. you know, sort of foremost sort of reggae musicians in the country, yep. and music was always going to be the thing for you. Was was there any ever anything else that interested you, or was it always going to be music? Well, I was into carpentry, and I was into electronics. That's the skill that's going to come it's in. It's all and, you know. yeah, and I'm going to be honest with you, Steve. When back in the day when we was messing about with sound and all that. That wasn't integral to my dad. My dad's take on this thing was education, education, education. And you know what? It's all right you having the concept of being a sound man, which living in the house with me as your father and that is obviously going to rub off on you. But you need to know how to read. You need to know how to write. You need to know how to calculate stuff. If you really want to be taking this role on, there's many aspects of these things that you need to incorporate as well as selecting music and playing music. You know, if you want to be building speaker boxes and that, you need to learn how to work out parameters and stuff like that. If you want to be using amplifiers, you need to know what are good and what are bad. And so for our parents, the sounding was... Yeah, it was part of our entertainment and it's part of our upbringing and that. But boy, getting a decent education was tantamount to everything. Yeah, we need so many skills to kind of succeed at anything, yep. but especially if you're running. A, people see people running a sound and think it's just one thing, but there's, there's a huge load of stuff in the background behind it all. So that's made me go to college and learn to, about being an electrician, and, which has helped me in the later part of life when it's coming to going into buildings and manipulating the electricity and stuff like that and being able to plumb straight into the to the electrical source the concepts, yeah the yeah 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 so um what about like the voice stuff because obviously you know abashanti people see you and know you as a like an orator you're on the microphone and like talking and singing and is is that something you you've done from early age? From early age, I remember 
my dad had his little microphone on the sound and back then it wasn't about so much being lyrical. It was about yeah, man, you know, and for me, because my dad's sound was more playing for big people, as a young person, if you can get on the mic or play some music and you're entertaining the old folks and the old folks are appreciating what you're doing, then you knew you was onto something. Because, yeah, you're telling you, yeah. I'm telling you. So um, later on, my dad used to play out four times a week. He used to play in a pub called uh, Hope and Anchor up in Upper Clapton. And every now and again, he was allowed to bring us. We would go with him and sometimes my dad would just leave me to do it. So um, at a very early age, I had the opportunity to play music to people and and the responsibility if you're doing it there you're selecting and talking and everything that's, that's that's a lot for a young person yeah my dad always knew i had that in me because i always used to mess about with his, with his equipment even when he didn't really want me to do it because them older people they were a bit strict when it came to yeah the mishandling of their stuff you know what i mean and as far as they're concerned as big people yeah, you don't trouble big people's things, you know what I mean? So Yeah, don't go breaking your old man's stuff. No, no. So, but, yeah, I was a bit of a non-listener to that, that sort of argument, you know what I mean? So as soon as he had gone out or anything, yeah, I'd just sneak in the sitting room and, yeah, just start playing his music and stuff like that. But he always knew I did it because the first thing what he'd do when he'd come home, he'd go and feel his amp. Like, yeah, this is because it's obviously a valve amp, so he knows it has been on, you know what I mean? So can't hide anything from him. As I got older and things like that and started going out and in Hackney, we had a lot of sounds in Hackney. We had Phoebes, as I said, we had Cubies, we had Four Aces, we had places like All Nations. Yeah, We had a, a lot of landmark clubs in Hackney. And at some point, I guess, you must have kind of come across Jar Tubbies as well because that's a big thing that kind of you associated with from like the 80s is like my yeah. understanding again it's like before my time but it's like i guess at some point you came across Jar Tubbies and Jar Tubbies yeah, also right. from You Hackney, see um right? Keith now Keith I've known Keith for years when i mean years i mean even before i even really got involved with Keith i've known Keith for years because Keith used to hang about with a cousin of mine who had a sound called Sir Lord Emperor which is a guy called Owen Groves Right, for anybody who's listening to this and that are based in Hackney, they'll they'll know who I'm talking about. Right, Owen was one of the innovators of when we used to have sessions in the park. Yeah, he was one of the first guys to set up the sessions in Hackney Downs and stuff like that. I remember these guys down in Owen's basement because they used to live in a place called Osbordeston Road, which is in Stoltenington. And like these are big houses. These were houses that used to belong to the Jewish community. So you know these houses, are they got like 10 rooms in there. So he had a whole basement for himself where he used to have his sound. Because these guys are older than me, naturally. But because I used to have to go and stay at my cousin's house, like sometimes, yeah, I'd have to go there to be babysat and things like that all these guys would be congregating down in my cousin's basement and thing with their sound and 
because my cousin Owen used to get a lot of music off of my dad as well. Yeah, Tubby's was the daddy sign in Hackney. Yeah, Tubby's was always been the heavyweight sign. Keith signs always sounded more superior than everybody else's sign. And unbeknown to a lot of people, yeah, Tubby's was the very, very first sign to use a parametric EQ. That's it, because my understanding is kind of, is this like technical sort of ability yeah. and kind of yeah. using, yeah. I guess, like you say, parametric EQ, stuff that was like cutting edge at the time and that other people weren't using it. He was deep into that. Yeah, a white guy called Alan that used to make Keith amplifiers and taught Keith a lot of what Keith knew, you know, so... Yeah, Keith was a sound that played with all the great sounds you have might have heard people speak about on the interviews and that and kind of gave them a run for their money, you know what I mean, musically and sound-wise, you know. And back then, Keith was really the only white guy in the business that was standing up to these guys here. And, yeah, when it came to even with the Jamaican music thing, because Keith had a good few links people that had uh, connections with people from the Jamaican fraternity to get music and stuff. So, yeah, Tubby's was a sound that always impressed me. Yeah, Keith is one of my mentors. Yeah, for me, i got three mentors in this business. One was my dad. The second is Shaka. And the third is Keith when it comes to sound quality and sound reproduction. Yeah, Tubby's, man. What, and what about yourself kind of getting involved with Jar Tuppy's sound? When, when, when did you start to get near that mic, you know, the illustrious Jar Tuppy's mic? Because at the time, obviously, big sound and big reputation. And there must have been a whole load of people wanting to get their hands on that mic. What happened was that um, Keith used to play up in the Midlands and play across the country a lot. And Keith didn't play, he didn't play London for about five, six years. Because he was going Birmingham, Sheffield, Manchester. And he, someone put a dance on in the manor and, boy, Tubbies. I said, I ain't heard Tubbies for years. So you know what? Me and my crew and we said, yeah, listen, we're going Tubbies. Because he played in a club called Downstown, which is near Hackney Dance Park in Hackney. And I said, yeah, let's all go Tubbies tonight. We ain't heard Tubbies for a long time. So we all went and. Yeah, Keith's just doing his thing. He was playing with a sound called Wisdom from Frinsbury Park. And yeah, Keith's just tearing the place apart as usual. And that time he had a mic man called Dirty Harry. Okay. Dirty Harry had a, he had a lyrics about him. Um, they call us Jatubbies, the leader of the rough, tough and dread. They say that I'm extremely dangerous public enemy number one. I listened to that and I thought, wow, tough, tough. But that time already, I was already kind of a mic man in my own right because I wasn't afraid to pick the mic up or anything. So Keith played a tune called Hooligan, as everyone knows it as Hooligan 69. So I, It's one of the asked, defining yeah. tunes of his from the 80s. Right. So I asked Keith, you know, could I hold the mic and ting? So, yeah, Harry gave me the mic and ting and... I done a little thing, hooligan, hooligan, where you gonna run when Jatubbies come? Da 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 da. After I done it, Keith looked at me and said, "We're playing Sheffield next week. Do you want to come?" So I thought, "Ah, oh, yeah, I don't mind." You know what I mean? So I'm thinking, "Yeah, I'm gonna be riding in the front of the van and all that." Nah, get in the back, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I didn't realise how far Sheffield was. And those vans, they weren't going very fast in those days. Nah, 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 nah. We had a 10-ton 10, 10 lorry, a D-series. And Keith's dad run the furniture, furniture removal thing. And he had a job up in Sheffield. So we actually did a delivery for his dad. And then went Dropped to play out. Some furniture so, with the sound in the truck and then went to play. Right. And yeah, we played a place called The Mill in Sheffield. And from that, yeah, I've been, I became Tubby's main mic man. You did it for a while, I guess. Yeah, I did that for like 10 years. Yeah. Because like, yeah, obviously living in Leicester, like when I, I didn't move to Leicester till 1990 and, and, Keith Tubby's just kind of stopped playing then at that kind of yeah, point. Yeah, all, yeah, yeah. Everybody I met, all people will talk about is Joe Tubby's with Joe on the mic in Highfields. So yep. what what was the kind of Leicester connection? Because you seem to be right. like here a lot. The first time we came to Leicester, we played with a sound called Saskal. Yeah. Right. Because back then it was Junior Blues, Saskal. And then later on, a sound called Shifter. Yeah, yeah, these are the Leicester Yeah, they were the, yeah, yeah. They were the, yeah, they're the main Leicester fraternities. And um, yeah, I remember the first time we came, we played with Scully. And yeah, it was like, boy, Tubby's has got this little feisty mic man on his mic, boy. Yeah, boy, he don't take no prisoners. And boy, he don't take back no talk. And yeah, we kind of... Yeah, we gave Scully a little bit of a hard one because there were times there it was... Well, that's, that's your job. You're coming from London. You've got to represent. I mean, what else can you do? Them times it was locking signs off, you know what I mean? Boy, right now, boy, it's either kill or be killed back them times there, you know? So, boy, it weren't happening with us. So, And in fact, that was the first time I met Barber. Uh-huh. And that's when I personally started coming to Leicester more on a social thing to come and spend a weekend with Barbara and his missus. That was our kind of introduction to coming to Leicester. And the person that was putting on the dance was a guy called Errol Powell. Uh-huh. Yeah, Errol was the main promoter in Leicester at that time. So so you've really been coming to Leicester for a really long time then? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm an honorary Leicestonian. I think you've got the keys, <laughs> the keys to the city. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of moving on a bit from there is it's like, the first time Abashanti played out as Abashanti Sound System, what was that at Leicester Carnival? Is that right? That's kind of that's how the myth goes. Yeah, that was Leicester Carnival because before that, I used to do like little sessions in my house. And uh, those tape, those tapes are legendary, Abba. Those tapes of like you playing in the house and selecting and chanting and singing. It's like they're, they're yep. still doing the rounds now, and they're from like right. however no, you know, way back when. It kind of started from there and. Yeah, like Bridgens is saying, nah, man, you need to, you need to get this out there, bro, because um, there's sounds out there, but they're not delivering the thing like how you're delivering it, man. And as as you said, the tapes started getting around. Leicester Carnival, Barber came up with the idea of, because he was trying to get Tubbies to come and do Carnival for a while, but Leicester Carnival actually started a year before we actually did it. That's what a lot of people don't realise. Leicester Carnival hasn't been running forever and a day and it's going to be 30 years this year here. So I think Carnival's batch have been running for 31 years. But the year previous to that, Barber was trying to get Tubbies to come on the part. But obviously the committee, they weren't looking at things like that. They're looking at, oh, it's a Caribbean Carnival. They're more looking at There's a lot of soccer costumes. music and 
So we decided, you know what, we're going to drive up. We parked the lorry on the park about six o'clock in the morning. We just left it in the park, went back to Barber's ass, got up about 11 o'clock, got a generator delivered. And we just started pulling the boxes off and just set up a, set like a circle Unofficial, up. you just turned up and played. Unof- unofficial, unofficial. We just turned up and played. I mean, back in those days, the carnival was much freer thing anyway. And it was like, there were loads of sounds, big, little. And I, I guess there was someone trying to organise it, but there was also a lot of kind of come one, come all kind of thing. So you, so yeah, you were yeah. there unofficially, that's crazy. Unoffic- unofficially, we went and we set up and, yeah, we played till two o'clock in the morning. That's unimaginable now. <laughs> yeah. And the only reason why we stopped because the g- generator ran out of diesel. So otherwise, we would have just kept playing. Like, the police never came and said nothing to us. People just got their cars and just turned on the headlights and that. So, boy, it was just like a circle of cars with headlights. Because I've actually got the video because we videoed it. So I've actually got the whole... Were there, like, real kind of, um, like serious artifacts now you know what I mean? yep, like serious yep. documents because like for me it was i think it was a year later that's the first time i heard you so i guess it's like 91 and i'd heard people talk about you playing the year before and bear in mind i'm young and kind of reggae and sound systems like a new thing for me and people have been saying to me like oh you got to hear this sound you've never heard anything like it and i remember in my young self walking up to carnival and and seeing you play and it's like early in the day and just hearing the tops and stuff and thinking, like, what well, is music sounds great. And then I was thinking, everyone's talking about this bass. Well, what's all that about? But I didn't realise you hadn't <laughs> dropped the bass at that point. No. And then a few seconds later, bang, you dropped the bass. And then that was, like, kind of my defining moment in a lot of ways. From then, there was no turning back for me because it's like I'd never heard anything like that. And I'd been into music my whole life, but I'd never heard anything like that. And those thundering bass lines... That was such a powerful moment for me that really kind of turned the corner and from then things were off. So nowadays with dance music, all kinds of things, people are used to hearing, still not that kind of bass, but some bass. But back in those days, you weren't hearing that kind of thunder like the way you were bringing nah, it. Nah, nah. Tubby's, man. Tubby's, Tubby's sound, man. Because I had Keith's sound, man. Yeah, Tubby's sound. I just took it on a different level. That's all it was. And it was needed, Steve. It was needed because um, the roots fraternity was just, it was thin, you know. That's what really, really, really inspired me to put the sand on the road because it was just, yeah, it was more dancehall music. Everyone wanted to be a yard sand at the time, man. And the only sounds out there that was really playing to that order when I came at Shaka, Obviously, Tubbies, because I was with Tubbies and stuff. You had Ja Trinity towards the end. You had Manasseh doing his thing. You had Steve Ja Warrior, who's a real, real, real good friend of mine. Uh, you had Joey J. Yeah, that time he was doing GT Hardware with Robert Tribulation. So, yeah, there's only a few of us out there on the battlefield, man. And, and for me, it needed... It needed bolstering, you know what I mean? And because I knew we had that m- more extreme power more than all the other sounds that was out there at the yeah, time, there man. Was, there was nothing like it around. The greatest thing for me as well, as well as having the sound, I also worked in Tubby's as a disc cutting engineer. 
Yeah, it's about the music, isn't it? That's the thing. Right. So as well as having the sound system capability, I had the musical capability because I was at the cutting edge of all the music that came out in the 90s. Because that's how I remember it, is hearing this selection of stuff from Dub Judah and Alpha and Amiga and Black and yep, X. And yep, they were all like yep. new artists then, really. And yep, yeah. you, and this whole fresh digital roots kind of thing was was happening. And and you seem to be, you know, and still are, but at that time then, it was new to me, but you seem to be really on these new, new releases and kind of fresh digital sound. You know what? We needed somebody to champion what we was doing in the UK. Yeah, this is the thing with Abashanti. Abashanti was the voice of the UK artists and the UK people that was making music in the UK. Yeah, we was the cutting edge of that because, as I said, boy, I'm in Tubby's mastering all this stuff here. So people are coming in to get their records cut and stuff and you're actually physically doing the mastering. So you're hearing it before any test press, any kind of glimmer of a release. Anything. You're hearing it fresh. And if anyone's got an authentic, any authentic 90s music from JTS, if you look in the run-out groove, I've signed it all. Yeah, I put my sig- I put Abishanti on every single tune that I've mastered. So this is the way you know if you've got an original 90s press tune. Yeah, and especially if it was done at JTS. Yeah, I'll put Abishanti on everything. I've, I've got them on my shelf in the next room. Yep, so I know a lot of people are going to be running, looking through their selections now to see. <laughs> but... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So this so. is the start then of, of, of Abashanti Sound System. Kind of, this is you doing your thing and your kind of mission. Yeah. And yep. it's, um And obviously, it's gone on to be like a real success. But like when you start back then, then it's you know it's very different times and kind of you know a lot of a lot of work to be done at that at that time. We was fortunate because um throughout the history of Abashanti. We've always had a residency, always. We started in a place called Sunny Isles, which is in um, Bromley by Bow. We used to do every Thursday there. My, my brethren, Errol Thompson, used to um, run that because he was the first one that really kind of saw that, you know what, we're going on with something. And the next person is African Simba because we used to do a Sunday night thing in Shoreditch in a thing called The Shrine. This is before the arches. This is before the arches. Yeah. Then um, Errol, the same Errol Thompson, he took me to the arches because it was um, Soul to Soul in Roots with um, Daddy Harvey and Jazzy B because they had a, a dub sound as well. And my brethren, um, Zebby, had a sound called Negus Tafara. And these two guys were playing in Vauxhall Arches with um, the promoter Styler. Yeah, so my brethren, because he used to do a food van and that used to sell food and that. So he told me to come down to the arches and come and have a look and see what was happening. And that's when I met up with Styler. And then Styler started doing the House of Roots down in Vauxhall. And that used to be like once a month. We started off at once a month there because he used to rotate it. And then it was... um, Wazier, the great Wazier from King Original. He went to Styler and said, listen, it's better you make Shanty the resident. His nights are more vibrant than anyone else's. More people are coming on his night. So, boy, just make him, yeah, just make him the, origi- the 
resident, and that's how we became the resident in Vauxhall Arches. Well, I used to drive down with Barber and, and Nick and Babs, who are still moving your boxes yeah, still, to the day. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It's, like, yeah. it's Sunday night, so it's crazy, you know, like whoever's got to go to work or something the next day, that's a very difficult Monday. <laughs> but no one yeah. cared. People went. And, and what I remember is like so many artists there as well. You kind of meet all these other producers and singers and whatever, and it seemed to be like the hub for it all to be happening at the time. Yeah, that was the hub with the Vauxhall Arches. And then um, we used to do the Blue Note, which is in Hoxton. Blue Note is a world-renowned club. We used to do Prodigy of Dub there. We used to do that on a Thursday night once a month. Yeah. Then we started doing stuff for a charity called Flo de Bosque, which is um, the protection for the rainforest in Ecuador. So we started raising funds for them. We started doing a thing called Tropical Dub Storm in um, SOAS, School of Oriental and African Studies. Yeah, we did them once a month in there. And as you knew, we came to Leicester every two weeks. We used to play at a place called the Dome in the city centre. Every two weeks we came to Leicester. We drove Before you broke the glass ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> we, oh, that used to be proper, that one there. And Abashanti has been a sound that always had more female followers than male followers. And we used to get a lot of the sisterings because you had a bookshop in Leicester called Raddle. Yeah, 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 in Highfield. Yeah, Raddle Bookshop. That's with Michelle and certain other sisterings. And yeah, they were avid supporters of what we used to do. And even Sister Jendai and Sister Luani from Bristol. Luani, she runs the Kukuma Centre in Bristol. Yeah, these sisters are the first sisters to even, I've got them on video, to experience Abishanti. They were the first ones to bring us to Bristol. We played in the Mill Youth Centre in Bristol. Yeah, they were the first ones to bring us there. You had um, some sisters in London. They had a promotion called Kush Promotion. Uh, Sister Nkechi, she does a... she does a radio show on the internet. Yeah, these sisters had their little, they brought us and Trinity to Britannia Leisure Centre. Yeah, the University of Dub. This is, um, I remember Judah coming to, coming to the Blue Note and standing, because and, Judah's a man that used to put on the big dances in Acton Town Hall and these cup dances back in the day. So, when yeah. sounds are playing to like win a cup, playing yeah, when stuff. yeah, Shaka, Fat Man, and Coxon, and yeah, these sounds used to play for cups and that. Yeah, Judah was the promoter for these things here. So even he was surprised that yeah, Roots music is still at the order of the day. So I remember the first time him coming to Blue Note and standing there, and he's just kind of got this mystified look on his face to say. What the hell is going on here? Said, yeah, man. He kind of thought it all stopped in the sort of early yeah, 80s man. or whatever. Because Judah and Styler, they're close friends. They grew that they grew together, you know what I mean? So Styler invited him down to see what he was actually doing, you know what I mean? And it was like 1997. Yep, University of Dub was founded, man. Where where did that where did they take place, the first ones? Was it always in Brixton? First, Rec? Brixton, Recre- Brixton Recreation in the big hall upstairs, in the main hall. So the first dance up there, we used the whole hall. It was us, Jayuf, and Coxon. 
was the very there yeah, that was edition one up there and the place was absolutely packed. Yeah, we brought the whole whole sound in. We've never really used the whole sound. We brought the whole sound in. I'm I, sure I remember there was always about. a bit left in the truck and it's like so everything came yeah. out at that time. Everything came out. The truck was empty. I'm sure we made about five stacks in there that night. That's, we're talking about 40 speakers. Well, I used to, I used to count them because in those days there were loads more scoops because obviously they're not as powerful as they are now. So y- yeah, to get that yeah. kind of weight, you needed a lot of speakers. And like, I was always amazed. I'd count one, two, three, four, five, you know, do- dozens of them. It was ridiculous. So that was always my intention from when back in the day, it was always to have a big sound and to come and set a set a precedent. It's like man. Bristol Rec really did though, because they're like that's and and the whole University of Dub thing. That's such a legendary kind of um, you know like, like a brand or a movement. It's like an institution, really, is what it is. And it went on. It's only recently stopped, I think. But it's kind yeah, of yeah. You know that's and that brought so many people into it as well. Every generation has a Bristol Recreation kind that sort of University of Dub. You know, I'm sure if you speak to older people, they'll be talking about Acton Town Hall and Club Norwich and uh, Ballam 2000 and Streatham and places like this where yeah, some historical dances were kept, you know, because boy... I mean, it was the spectrum in Leicester. Yeah, we've made a definite mark in Leicester and, yeah, I think the whole thing with the Abashanti thing being more based in Leicester than anywhere else. Well, a lot of people here who aren't so deep into it are surprised when they find out you're not from Leicester because Abashanti is such an institution here. And because yeah, of Carnival, yeah. especially, I mean, even now it's still supported, but especially when it was still free and there's, you know, nothing else like it. It really felt like a yeah. kind of public service. Like, here's this a- yeah. amazing free experience for people. It's kind of... Yeah. And you could, if you if you wanted to pay money, you couldn't get a better experience. That's what's so crazy about it. I'll tell you how we got legitimised at Leicester. We got legitimised at Leicester because remember they started cordoning it off. We had a little arrangement with the pavilion that you know what they give us the power, they make the money because we never got paid to do Leicester Carnival. That's something we did off our own back. One year they decided they're going to start putting the cages up and started to cordon off. The carnival and well, Abishanti, you're not really official, so you know what, we're not really including you in it. So, boy, <laughs> you had the fence and you had us. And then what happened was we just sucked everybody out of the carnival to our corner where the pavilion was. And I remembered it because I've got it on video. So, even if Sugar wants to deny it or not, that's up to him. But yeah, I remember the year you came to me and you said, Yeah, you see, next year. You come in the carnival. Yeah, we don't want you outside the carnival because you're just... <laughs> pulling everyone out of the carnival. Yeah, pulling everyone out. So you know what? From that point, we became official and they started paying us to do it. And from since then, you see we're the only sound that is on the carnival when the carnival actually happens. Yeah, for sure. And also, even in the old days, it's like because people would travel from near and far because obviously Leicester's in the middle of the country. So people would come from all over to the session. Yep. And it's like, and you're there doing it for nothing because I guess because you just want to do it. And that's like, you know, people in Leicester, if anyone from Leicester's listening, then, you know, take note of that. Yeah, listen, Leicester people, yeah. 
I have a debt of gratitude to Leicester because you know what? When no one in London wanted to listen to us, because boy, we was trying in London, but because, yeah, we said, you know what? Stuff you lot. We'll go to Leicester and play, you know what I mean? And Highfields Community Centre was a place where we just went. We didn't have much people coming when we was in Highfields, but it all changed when we moved to the city centre, when we went to the Dome. And even the people that owned the Dome were just happy to have us every two weeks. Because they knew they were gonna, they're gonna sell their drinks and they're gonna get a crowd there. So, boy, even if they might not have really a hundred percent liked the music and thing, they knew that the clientele would have been there and that. So, boy, and we was happy to come to Leicester and do what we had to do. Because yeah, for sure. Because also, there's not much else happening in Leicester. And like, as anyone, I look back now and I think, wow, mm. how lucky I was to be kind of brought into music in a city where this like amazing reggae scene was happening and you've got Abishanti yeah. playing like, yeah. every two weeks. It's kind of, I, I kind of thought that was normal, but you look at other cities and that wasn't happening in other places. Well, what happened was, you see, when the London people like, oh, this is what Abishanti is about, blah, blah, blah. Then we started getting locked down into London because this is where we started getting a lot of residencies. And... Well, the other big residency I want to kind of mention as well is obviously Notting Hill Carnival which is yeah. still, the, I think it's the biggest street carnival in the world or something. And then you've got a residency since 90-whatever, I guess. Nin- 93. 93. 93. So, yeah, you know, yeah. it's a long, long time. Uh, that was down to my brethren, Nigel Sterling. All right, Nigel Sterling is a youth worker in Hackney. And same thing when we did Hackney Show, because we used to do a park event called Hackney Show as well. Hackney's got a big Rasta community. We got all these different sounds and that on the park, but we don't have no root sounds on the park. So you know what, Joe, I'm going to tell you, you need to come to a meeting at the tunnel. So I went to the meeting and I had to kind of put a proposal forward of what I'm about. And and yeah, they went for it and they just said, yep. So Nigel just said, listen, we got Carnival. The only sounds that was playing Carnival then was Channel One, and Jar Observer as root sounds. So, yeah, Nigel got me to come to the meeting and all that, and I had to sign up with BASE, British Association of Static Sound Systems. Yeah, from there... And did they the give first... you that spot? I guess you couldn't choose it, because it's like... No, they gave, they gave us Power Square. Problem with Power Square is pedestrian. It's supposed to be flowing, flowing traffic, yeah. But obviously, with us on one corner of it, it's a roadblock because everybody's come and, yeah, see a lot of these things I have documented on video and stuff like that. So, as I said, eventually I will start releasing some of these videos and a lot of people will be able to see themselves in a very, very young, young, young state, you know what I mean? So, well, so even sometimes... The first time you played there, was was that not at the same place you're at now then? Was that a different... No, no, no. We've moved three times at Carnival. First place, as I said, was Power Square. The second year, they moved us to a place called Swingbrook Road, which was like a dead-end cul-de-sac, which was ideal. But there was an old people's home there, and, boy, we was disturbing up the place and thing. Then they put us where we was, which was, it was the outpost end, because nothing, that was a dead, that was just the perimeter of the carnival, and it was like nothing going on down there, which we was happy for, because we didn't want to be in the heart of the carnival with the hustle and bustle. We just want to be one side. Who wants Abishanti? 
nowhere to come and find us. And this is the place so, with the, are they still got the kind of tennis courts or whatever behind you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, the place. That's yeah, the place. It's yeah. like, it's your zone, definitely. Yeah, because even the park one year, they called the park Abashanti Park. <laughs> they had it on um, oh, that magazine, Touch, because Touch, they used to do like a little carnival special and thing like that. So, yeah. Yeah, the easiest landmark to find us was that park. Yeah, they called it Abishanti Park. Obviously, so, now you've got people from all over the world coming to it. And I know people that have really come from far to experience the, the proper sound system vibe come to things like Notting Hill so they can hear you and some other sounds as well kind of playing. But it's like, what, what, what does it mean for you, Notting Hill? Because it always seems to be quite a kind of special thing. Notting Hill, for us... Is something we give back because we don't get paid for doing Notting Hill. So everybody needs to understand this. Back in the day when Notting Hill Carnival Trust under Clear Holder, we used to get paid because Clear made sure she looked after us. You see our stall, what we have at the carnival, we have to pay for it. We have to pay for a street traders' license to, to do all to that. Pay for your own stall. So people need to understand when. Abashanti does Notting Hill Carnival. We don't get paid to do it. This is something we pay to give back to the people for all the whole year. They have to pay to come and hear me. So between Leicester Carnival and Notting Hill Carnival, we pay to do it. It's crazy because that's like, they're the sessions that a lot of people will remember the most because obviously people love to hear the music outdoors and the whole kind of carnival atmosphere and everything. It's like... Have to give Leicester their dues. Leicester, they pay me an appearance fee every year. It hasn't gone up for the last 20 years, but boy, they give me some kind of recompense. Not in Hill Carnival, no. Yeah, as I said, when Clear Holder was running it, yeah, we all, as disciplines, we all got paid... And we got sponsorship and stuff like that because it's not really run like that anymore. Yeah, we have to pay. And you're doing it for like two days. I mean, what, what, what's it like doing it? Because you've got the sound set up for two days. So you kind of got, you've got a lot of time to play. You can kind of really yeah. dig into the selection. I mean, what's that like? I love it because you see people can get the Abishanti experience uninterrupted. And this way they can understand the depth of Abishanti, that Abishanti, we might have been, we might have come about in the 90s, but this has been a lifetime thing for me from, from I've been born, as I said, I'm born in a house with this thing here where, yeah, I see people like my dad, people like Count Shelley. There's a guy called Asher G., He's the rock steady daddy. Me and Asher G grew up together. His dad had a he had a, his dad had a sound called Count Wally. His dad and my dad were like hand and glove. Yeah, Count Wally was a man that he had a big sound. He had big valve amps. He had like 500, 600 watt valve amps and a lot of boxes and stuff like that. So sometimes I see. I mean, all these people who are kind of like the, the founding fathers of this kind of scene. Because a lot of people they turn up at the dance, they enjoy it and whatever. People don't realise kind of how much work has gone in beforehand. And obviously things are so different now to like when, when you were playing, you know, whether with Tubbies or with Abishanti from the start of the 90s and now we're in 2020 and it's kind of, you know, 30 years of playing sound system. It's like, you know, it's, it's a long road. 
there's my brethren that a lot of people see around me that um, sometimes he he plays with my sound and a lot of people are like, there's a guy called Little Andy. Right. He had a sound called Intrepid Rebel back in the day. So, boy, these are the guys that I kind of grew up with and helped along the way to perfect my skill and my knowledge and these things here. And he's still with me today. The builder of my preamp is a guy called Charles, Charles Edwards. Great one, the greatest preamp amp builders, the guy that built the Destructor and stuff like that. Yeah, these guys have been in the business for, oh gosh. It's like the unknown heroes, the kind of builders and all these people, because people see you because you're there performing and like you're the front of it. But there's a whole army of people in the background making this thing happen. Yeah, so that's why I have to make mention, especially of these two guys here, because they're really the backbone of Abishanti. Yeah, these are the unseen heroes that makes Abishanti sound how it sounds. You've got the right team. Obviously, because you've got got the sound system, which is obviously the kind of foundation and kind of fundament of it. But also Abishanti is like a, a world name for, for Roots Reggae music because you travel all over the world performing and playing. Obviously, you can't take the sound system everywhere you go. So you're here, Asia, Africa, Latin America, everywhere. So yeah. um, that, that must have been quite a kind of amazing thing to see happen, this, this kind of global kind of movement. Yeah, I remember back in the early days of going to places like France, especially France, they never had no sound systems whatsoever. None. Yeah, those days we used to drive over there. We used to hire a car, get the ferry and drive. Yeah, there was no flying or nothing like that. Yeah, that was the easy dub to cast days, wasn't it? Yeah, man, that's with Bertrand and that. Yeah, man, myself, Irish and Steppers. Yeah, Joey and Robert, them guys used to do a lot of it as well. I was talking to Dougie a few days ago and he was talking about the same thing. It's like, yeah, those early days, it's so different. Yeah, we were the ones that really, yeah, took the rough end of the stick to go out and get the music out there and let people know who they are. So, yeah, we've done a lot, especially for our UK Roots fraternity. We've done a lot, a lot, a lot. Yeah, because as I said... Most people's entry to our music and thing is listening to Abishanti, especially when it comes to the European experience. You know what I mean? It's like Abishanti. And I have to take my hat off to my brethren, Mark Iration, man. Yeah, the two of us have really stood the test of time. Yeah, we have a few people coming back now. And yeah, when we was out there, they weren't there, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, in those early 90s days, it was like, yeah, you and Mark up and down the motorway. I know Mark through going to Leeds and that, through Tubbies. Yeah, I know Simba for going Phoebe's. I know Cammer Dread from Bristol, Negus Melody from going Phoebe's. So a lot of the people I know in this business is just through the love and the passion of sound system. That's how I know a lot of people throughout the UK. Well, there's a lot of people determined to kind of, I mean, I, I'm busy, well, when we're allowed out of the country, I'm like yourself, I'm busy all the time, so <laughs> I don't get a chance to go to so many sessions. But when I was younger, I used to go up and down the country all over the place to hear sound. And it's kind of, there's a there's a whole load of, sort of soldiers and warriors who are out there on the road, like following the sounds. Yeah, yeah. But say, yeah, yeah. but now you're playing really 
all over the world. France is one place as well. As I said, yeah, Bertrand with Easy Dub the Cass gave us opportunity to do the whole of um, France. And then when it came to Italy now, I have to give Nadine, King David Warrior, I have to give her her juice because, boy, she was the one that had the vision over there to build a sand. Yeah, first person to invite Vibronics over there for sure. So, yeah, big yeah, old deal and time. Yeah, yeah, we went and started doing the whole of Italy and going to places like Salento and bucking up with Marco Blackstar, which Marco, yeah, from his first inception of sand, he just loves it, man. And Just Station... Yeah, there's a lot of lot of the guys them that have taken it on, and yeah, this thing's just spread. Man. And obviously, certain places like in the way that Leicester loves Abashanti, you've got a connection here. You definitely seem to have that connection with places like Italy, where you, you're really there a lot and have been there for for a long, long time. You know, you just can't go and play any kind of music to them over there, man. Yeah, they want the roots, man. That's the thing with. Especially Italy, yeah, they want the roots, they want the deep roots and culture because they can just feel the connection with the music and the spirit and things. So they've been a bit of a rebellious crowd because of the the Catholic church upbringing and stuff like that, you know. So, boy, a lot of them are just seeking the truth, you know what I mean? So, you know, yeah. the politics are crazy, so they've got this kind of rebel spirit and yep. squats and stuff. Yeah, like yep. roots music fits in like perfect in, in my experience. Some serious, intensive, well, yeah, I'd have to say intensive dances have been kept, man. Yeah, some of them sessions there, man, you can just feel hairs on your arms just standing up, man. Yeah, the people just they just embrace it, man. Places far, far afield as Japan and places like that, man. I remember the first year we went to Japan, that was just mind-blowing for them over there, man. Played in a place called the Liquid Room, which Liquid Room was the biggest dance venue in Japan. And, yeah, we are playing to like... 5,000 people packed. Yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? Packed. That kind of level of crowd. Yeah, packed. People are crying. People just can't believe it, man. You know, the vibe is just overwhelming. So, yeah, that's why I have a big up man like Shandy and Kronaka. You know, Kronaka, yeah, Kronaka yeah. Every time. That's it. And there's all these kind of like, it kind of sounds corny, but there is this kind of global sort of community of people now. It's kind of, it's really opened out from, back back to the early days of, smoky dances in sort of little venues in Leicester and in Hackney and stuff. It's kind of, things have really, yeah, they've gone all over the world now. Uh, it's like boy Bob says, when it hits you, feel no pain, man. And right now, it's, sometimes it's hard to explain this thing, man. It's just, you just need to experience it. You know what I mean? Yeah, sometimes people try to get you to explain certain things and sometimes people come and they can't, actually speak the language and you can see they want to actually tell you something and I just tell them it's all right I understand I understand yeah because the same energy and the same vibes that is given you it's the same vibes and energy that is given us and that's why we're never ever prepared to let it die we're prepared to it's going to go on and on and it just gets passed on from one generation to the next that's that's what I was going to ask you about what kind of thing can we expect from you going forward? Because obviously, you know, been doing Abhishanti for 30 years and achieved so much and it's like, what else can we kind of 
hope to look out for once we get past this crazy isolation virus situation? Right, right. For me, it's about just continuing in the work and just setting a level and a precedence and not straying away from what it's actually supposed to be. Yeah, this is about upliftment, man. This is about spiritual education, man. This is about spiritual awareness, man. So um, these little things, yeah, I don't ever want to ever, ever lose. No matter how innovative we get with the music, no matter how innovative we get with the sound, with the technology, with the amplifiers and stuff like that. Yeah, man, for me, it's always about me as a person implementing myself in this thing, whether I'm playing off of a CD, whether I'm playing off of a SD card. To me, the format is not important to me. It's how you get this message across to people. So hopefully with my son taking up the reins and doing his thing as well. So this is where... In our family, it's been a tradition and it's been uh, a baton passing on experience, you know what I mean? You and your brother and then Ashanti Sealer, like, you know, one of the top producers in the country, it's like there's, there's something going on in that blood. Yeah, man, and even my dad's dad, he was back in Antigua, yeah, he was part of a steel pan fraternity. So, boy, this is something sometimes my mum, because I never, ever met my grandfather, so my mum gives me a little history about him because my mum knew of him in Antigua and said that, yeah, he was a man that walked around with a, like a banjo. So he was playing music, live music as well. So this is something that's just been trickled, trickled, trickled down. And we've all been totally exposed to it. Not half exposed, not quarter exposed. We've all been totally exposed to it. So as you can see, History shows, especially with Ashanti Sealer, from he was a baby, he's been involved in this thing here, man. So, you know what? Yeah, I don't expect nothing different from him still, you know? Yeah. Nice, nice. Well, we've been talking for quite a while now, and it's like, it's one of those things, it's like there's such a deep history, we could really talk forever. So, a couple of things. Firstly, we need to set up part two at some point because yep. it's like there's so much other things to touch on. Yep. <laughs> but the other thing is like what, what I'm doing is I'm asking everybody this same question sort of at the end of the interview as well. Is like I've I'm, I'm got this book, the Book of Darwin, I'm writing everyone's name in it and I'm just asking each guest what they'd want written next to their name or something they kind of want associated with kind of what they're doing or what they stand for. It's something along those lines. So I was wondering if, Abba, you've got something to say to, you want to write next to your name. So I'm writing Abashanti in the book of Dub. I would say we came and we threw the spear that much further to enlighten the next generation because this is a generational thing, you know. As much as we can all do what we can do within our time, our designated time that's given to us, but it's what we've given to the next generation to move forward with. And me and my brother, Blood Shanty, has put into this thing, me with the sound and him with his musical experiences and his songs and his musical creativity. Yeah, I hope we've kind of enlightened the whole next generation. Yeah, for sure. I mean, with, like I said to many people, there would be 
no Vibronics without Abashanti, without hearing you play on the sound in Leicester back in the day when no one else was doing it, then what I'm doing now would be a completely different course. So, you know, I've got to say personal thanks for that, definitely. That has like, you know, it's been a, a true inspiration, definitely. And for me to hear things like that, that means, yeah, mission accomplished because that's what it's about for us. When we go out, even if, even if one person gets inspired by what we're doing, then, yeah, that's the mission accomplished, you know what I mean? So, yeah. Well, Abba, thank you very much for being on the podcast. Thank Appreciate it. Respect to everyone. And everybody in this time here, just stay safe and hope to see everybody on the other side. Blessed love. Thanks again for joining me and Abashanti for this 11th episode of the Life in Dub podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to Life in Dub and to help promote it wherever you can. If you have any comments or suggestions about the show, as usual, just email me, vibronics at gmail.com. And as ever, you can visit their website, lifeindub.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you all again in two weeks for the next Life in Dub podcast.